Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join Tiffany and her fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is Tiffany. I am your host, and I am joined today with a fellow patient co-host, Sue Schrant, and I am so excited to have her on this episode because we go way back, don't we, Sue? We sure do. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of what we're going to talk about today. So Sue is Senior Patient Engagement Advisor to the Society to Improve Diagnosis in Medicine, which is, I'm going to say SIDM for short. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also founder of a patient engagement initiative called Expect. So Suze, if you'd like to say hi and give us just a little background on that, that'd be great. Absolutely. Hi. And thank you so much. I'm really excited to to be with you. It's a great opportunity to have a conversation with a friend. So that's always a, (laughs) a fun thing to do. Yeah. I recently launched Expect. The name is intentional. The idea is that patient engagement should be the expectation and not the exception. As you already mentioned, we go way back because we've both been involved in patient engagement for several years now. And the whole idea of EXPECT is helping patient advocacy organizations or clinical professional societies or companies, whomever is trying to build out a patient engagement strategy or figure out a patient engagement activity, I can help, expect can help just with that planning and execution and really making sure that the patient engagement is meaningful. And I think the particular area of focus, although expect can cover patient engagement in in any domain, but the particular area of focus is really in medical education, quality improvement type of activity where patients themselves really have a big role to play. And I think a lot of folks don't realize that, that we ourselves can be medical educators. Who who knew? So it's pretty, pretty cool work. Yeah. The world is evolving. And and that really is what this topic is today. That is how IFAA works. We're all about peer-to-peer conversations with people living with these diseases, with AI arthritis diseases. And through conversation, we identify issues that need to come to the table. (laughs) And we were talking and Susan and I said, wow, you know, we've been these patients at the table. We've been these people who have used our voices. And then Sue said to me, you know, I hear from patients all the time saying, oh, I've done this. And they don't necessarily realize they could also do this and that. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) we have have the topic, you know, where can patients use their voice? And the answer is Sue's Everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Tag team title there. So we just thought we would do the short episode to start the conversation on how we got started and some tips we have on getting started or advancing your voice. If you are already utilizing your voice to impact a research or education 
or policy. And then we hope to reach out to some of our friends or you who are listening out there also. Well, you're our friends too. <laughs> and if you're out there and, and you have utilized your voice in a way to impact research, education, or advocacy to also share your tips and your stories, and then we're going to create a resource and a continued conversation so that we can elevate engagement and getting patients out there. So did you want to start, Suze, with telling yeah. us a little bit about how you started with this? Yeah. So I was doing patient engagement before we called it patient engagement. I just didn't know I was doing it. And so <laughs> I actually, the very first activity I ever did was in medical education. And I'm we're going to talk more specifically about that in just a minute. But I think the the biggest launching pad for me was when I came to DC to work for PCORI, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. I served as the deputy director of patient engagement there. And I, like I said, I'd already been doing some patient engagement, but PCORI is a nonprofit. It was created by Congress, but it's not a governmental agency. And it is a research funder for those of you who aren't familiar. And it is, I mean, talk about putting your money where your mouth is. You can't get research funding from PCORI unless you have patients involved in planning, conducting, and disseminating the research. And so being there in the very early days, the, the birth really of PCORI exposed me to so many great examples of what that looks like. How do patients shape and improve and enhance research? And it can be from really complicated things like patients helping analyze data and helping to draw conclusions from the data that's collected in the research to things that are a little more what I, I guess I would say simple. And one of my favorite examples from PCORI was a study in asthma. And part of the study was going to include a survey that was given to patients and parents. But the survey question said, how many days of work or school have you missed because of you or your child's asthma? And when the partners, the patients and the parents who partnered on that research study got the draft of the survey, they said, oh, hold on a second. Asthma doesn't happen in nice, clean, eight-hour increments. It's not like <laughs> asthma called me and Wednesday is going to be a bad day. Uh, instead, it's two hours here or an hour there, or I'm at work, but I'm exhausted because we were at the emergency room all night. And they, they were really worried that if you ask it this way, you might get people saying, none. I haven't missed a day of anything because that's not really how it plays out. That to me is a pretty simple, but wow, what a yeah. powerful example. So if you're a patient out there listening and you're thinking, I'm not a scientist, I don't, what could I possibly lend to the research process? You lend lived experience and mm -hmm. you really can change the course of a research project and improve it. And so I think it's, oh, it's good stuff. And I know you have PCORI experience too. That's how we know each other. That is yeah. how we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my diagnosis happened in 2009 and that was also the time social media picked up. And so people started talking to other people. And one of the things that happened with that was I was forwarded a link to PCORI. 
is somebody said, you would really be great at being a, a reviewer of these grants that, that are coming in and it's new and they need patient experience and patient voices. So I looked into it, applied and was accepted. So I was one of the original people who started reviewing at PCORI. And it was such an amazing experience. Like Sue said, it isn't necessary to feel intimidated because you're the life expert. You are an expert. You're the life expert. You're the, you're the person right. living with these diseases expert. When I first started, it was sort of being accepted. I think there were people, the professionals, the rheumatologists, the researchers who had not yet been on panels where patients were included. So there was an adjustment period for sure. sure. But that has since, I think, yeah. done really well. And, and then that's how Susan and I met. And then you came on and you were a speaker for World Autoimmune Autoinflammatory mm -hmm. Arthritis Day to talk about PCORI. And we just stayed friends after right, that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for yeah. myself, PCORI was a springboard for other things. And that's, I think, mm -hmm. an important point to take away is there's many places that we'll talk about how you can get started. But also once you start, you can continue. And that was happened to me with PCORI. So after PCORI, then I had experience and I ended up being the single patient reviewer at the National Institute for Arthritis and Skin and Muscular Skeletal Diseases. So we say NIAMS for short, but um, at the National Institute of Health. And I did that for three years. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without the experience I had from PCORI. So that is one way that patients can right. be involved in, in the grant reviewing. Right. But then there's other things too, right? Sue's like, I also have been what it's called a patient research partner. Yep. And that is an equal on a research team. And so you are an equal part from the beginning to the end of planning and executing the research. I do that through a group called OMARAC, which is Outcome Measures in Rheumatology. But there's many other places, right, yeah. Suze, that people can get oh, involved yeah. with being on a research team. Right. And so PCORI is often sort of spoken about as the, the birthplace of patient engagement and research. But there's actually many opportunities outside of PCORI. And one way to get involved in this sort of movement is if you've got relationships with researchers, you can tell them about PCORI. Hey, guess what? There is this amazing source of funding and I can help you because I'm a patient partner. And that's a required part of the planning and execution of the research. So if you happen to know researchers or if you don't know researchers, hop on PCORI's website and we'll be providing all that information. You can become what's called a PCORI ambassador so that you get alerts and emails and information about what's going on. You can actually see who's gotten funded. So maybe your local university has a project that's already funded and you could find a way to connect with the researcher and say, hey, if you need some more patient partners, more patient expertise, I'm here. So there's really sort of a whole world of patient engagement related specifically to research. Mm -hmm. And that's just one part of the continuum. Exactly. And we'll talk about a lot of other ways as well. Yeah, we will. And, and I wanted to build on something that Sue said. PCORI was, in fact, the birthplace of patient engagement in the United States. Right. And that's what is very interesting to me personally, because IFAA is involved in different councils and coalitions that are 
tracking sort of this history of how did patient engagement happen in rheumatology and in research in particular for this case. But what's interesting is you look at the timeline and it started in the 90s in Canada and early 2000 in Europe. When you look at the continuum, how it did take the United States a little bit longer to get there. (laughs) But now look, we're going strong. And so I do always relate to PCORI and say that was really where it it was a springboard here in the United States. And then as we look at internationally, as I mentioned, there are other places patients can get involved in, in research and education and public policy around the world. But I would say going through ULAR, which is the European yeah. League Against Rheumatology, and they have branches called UPADI, which is developing patients to be research engagement partners. Right, right. right. The European Patients Training Institute, I think, is the I. I'd have to, we'll make sure the resource list has exactly what it is. And that was sort of born out of a couple things that are happening in Europe. Europe also has the European Patients Forum. There's the Innovative Medicines Initiative. So there's a, just a whole host of research and a lot of it focused on drug development. And so UPADI sort of turns out these amazing, skilled, ready-to-roll patient advocates who can be involved in the drug development process and that research process and bring that lens and perspective. So it is funny. PCORI was a real game changer in the U.S., but as you said, there has been work going on in Australia, in Canada, in Europe. There's now some additional activity going on in in other continents as well. One place that is another good resource to just kind of be aware of what's happening internationally is something called ISPOR. It's a mouthful, but it's the International Society for Pharmacoeconomics and Outcomes Research. And there are branches and aspects all over the world. And in the US or in North America, rather, you can actually attend and participate in the patient representative roundtable. There are roundtables for patients in Europe, in Asia Pacific, and Latin America. And so it's just a great resource if you're listening from one of our neighboring countries and not here in the US, go to ISPOR's website, see what's happening in your country, because they do a good job collecting what's happening and they're getting more and more interested in patient engagement. So I think it's going to continue to grow. And I've been very involved in ISPOR and actually chaired the North American Patient Representative Roundtable for the last three years. Well, I think our plans are going to cross there again, Suze, because I was just in another way that this just ties right in because when we're talking about drug development and utilizing patient voices in that respect. I was in a patient panel about two months ago, and ISPOR was there, heard what I had to say through what we're doing at IFAA, and they have invited me to now participate. So that's just, again, it's just once you're out there, it just seems to build, right? It It snowballs, yeah. And speaking of drug development, we go to uh, regulatory yeah. which once a drug is being put through for testing to see if it goes on to market, then even post-market, there's a lot that goes on at regulatory agencies, which would be like the FDA or the EMA, right? So, right. so that's another one. And I think that you had some specific examples about that. Yeah, I've been 
really fortunate to be involved in a lot of ways in sort of the drug development world. And so I serve on the FDA's Patient Engagement Advisory Committee or the PIAC. And that it was the first body like that that the FDA ever put together, kind of modeled after PCORI's Patient Engagement Advisory Panel that we launched when I was at PCORI. And this committee is just one of the ways the FDA is gathering insights from patients. But you as a patient can also participate honestly as much as you want. There are opportunities to provide comments when they do a draft guidance for getting patient perspective in the drug development process. It's called PFDD, Patient Focused Drug Development. Again, you don't have to be a scientist or a chemist or a biochemist or a, you know, a whiz kid at pharmaceutical development, <laughs> you have lived experience. And so if you're looking at this guidance and you have questions or comments, everyone is allowed and encouraged to submit those comments and reactions to the FDA. On the sort of industry side of things, patients and patient advocacy organizations can actually partner directly with companies. There's sort of this misperception that that wouldn't be allowed, that, oh, we wouldn't want patients and companies talking to each other. And that is no longer the case. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the FDA is trying to really explain and make it clear, no, no, we want you to work together. And you can see, you can imagine how things like that would play out. So if a drug company, let's say they're producing a drug for one of our types of autoimmune arthritis, and they want to run a clinical trial, you could see patient partners reviewing the clinical trial protocol, mm -hmm. which is the sort of the plan for the trial, and providing their feedback. One big button issue with a lot of patients is placebo. So if you have really tough disease, you might not want to risk that you're not getting an effective drug. You don't want to be randomized to that arm of a clinical trial. So you might say, hey, I don't think you should do a placebo-controlled study, or I think you should at least use usual care, some sort of maintenance drug. And even though that those words I'm using might sound a little complicated, typically, if you're going to be involved in something like this, you'll get just a little bit of onboarding, of skill building, mm -hmm. maybe a glossary of terms, and it will start to come pretty naturally. You start thinking about what would I or members of my community want in a clinical trial? What would we not want? What would make us say, heck no, I would never <laughs> participate in that trial? And what would make you say, oh, absolutely sign me up? So it is pretty amazing once you sort of scratch the surface, mm -hmm. you can get involved just about as much as, as you want, as you have the, the time and appetite for. You made a really good point that I think we, we should highlight is there is always, well, I shouldn't say always, never say always, never say never, right? Right. <laughs> <But> there is <laughs> typically some level of training or orientation involved in this. So it, if it's a matter of, I really am worried, I don't understand how this works, we hope that this conversation we're starting today opens the dialogue so that we, Susan and I, other people we know who have been at the table, quote unquote, can help answer those questions for you and ease your, ease your mind, ease your maybe insecurities, and just know that they typically are going to give you some overview. They're not going to just throw you in and <laughs> say, right. now go. So, right. um, and honestly, if they do, if you are ever in a situation where you feel unprepared, where you're thinking, I'm not really sure what it is you're looking for, or I'm not sure how I can be most valuable. 
you can ask the the people with whom you're partnering. I mean, if it's a drug company, if it's the FDA, ask them, say, look, I want this to be meaningful and worth everyone's time. So tell me exactly what we're going to talk about so I can prepare. You can also reach out to us. We are sort of all in this together. And so if you know someone who's done that kind of work, like Tiffany has, like I have, reach out and we will help you think through your participation and how to make it really count. Absolutely. And, and I've even highlighted that here, Sue, on my sheet, because that will be a key takeaway here, that yeah. the conversation will remain open in addition to submitting ways that you have participated to help others link to those. We want sort of a feel of advisory or camaraderie or that you're, right. you can ask questions from people right. who have been there. Other ways. Suze, we talked about HTA, if you want to go into that a little bit more. So, you know, we've talked about research, we've talked about development of new therapies, but of course, one of the things that has to happen is these things have to get paid for. And so the way that happens with medicines and medical devices is something that kind of the jargony term is HTA, health technology assessment. In other countries that don't have, so in the U.S., as we know, we've got sort of a disjointed healthcare system. There is not a governmental HTA body that officially makes decisions about which therapies will be covered or which medical devices should be paid for. But in a lot of other countries, there is a single governmental body. So for example, in Canada, it's called CADF. Many, many of these HTA bodies in other countries actually have formal patient engagement protocols or activities. And so you can, as a patient in one of those countries, reach out to your HTA body and serve as co-reviewers as they're making decisions about whether to cover a therapy. You can provide that lived experience as someone who has a disease or a condition. And so that is a huge opportunity sort of waiting for you if you live outside the U.S., In the U.S., we do have an HTA body. It's just not sort of an official government body. It's called ICER, I-C-E-R, the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. And ICER has started to really bulk up their patient engagement efforts. And so you can sort of get yourself on a mailing list or make sure you're following what ICER is doing. And if they are doing a review of drugs in your disease area, you can submit comments on the review. They do allow a small number of patient speakers at the live discussion. And just as an example, a couple of years ago, when they were doing a review of biologics for rheumatoid arthritis in particular, a patient advocacy organization was able to collect data directly from patients. And that data was really important for the discussion because ICER was using things like claims data from health insurers and clinical trial data but there wasn't a source of patient-generated data. Mm -hmm. What have your patient experiences been? And so in that case, it was actually the Arthritis Foundation, but many other patient advocacy organizations have done similar things. That patient-collected data is important. Mm -hmm. So if you're aware of a review coming up, you might want to reach out to your patient advocacy organization that you're connected to and say, hey, guys, let's hop on this. Let's collect some nice solid survey data, or let's make sure we get invited to speak and 
let's let our voices be heard. So that's a whole nother way to be involved. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I mean, we probably could spend hours just giving information on this, which is why we wanted to start the conversation, but nonprofits or patient advocacy organizations like the Arthritis Foundation, like IFAA and many others around the world, we are continuously utilizing the voices of those affected with these diseases to impact change. And research is one that we've talked about, but also public policy. (laughs) That's a whole other side, right? That, uh, which is, I would say in the European countries, ULAR PARE, which is a group of patient advocacy organizations that work very diligently on public policy campaigns. They have a great one called Don't Delay Connect Today. And they're always looking for input for the different countries who put together projects on early detection, which is right up our alley. (laughs) And, um, And so that just shows you there's such a broad range. I know when I started, before I went to PCORI, I started by going to Washington, D.C. with the American College of Rheumatology and being an advocate for arthritis is what they're called. That you can go right on their website, which again, we will list on our resource list and you can apply every year and they pick a couple people. And the same with many of the advocacy patient organizations. So another way, if you're interested in advancing legislation or the rights of patients to have certain things in their lives, then that's Mm -hmm. that's also a direction that you want to go. Yeah. You, you mentioned ACR and that made me think of a whole additional area of activity. And that is working directly with those professional clinician societies like ACR. You can do things like provide your input when they're generating their clinical practice guidelines. So all specialists typically have some sort of organization, society, college, or something where they kind of all come together to continue to research together to get continuing education. And so they gather and share innovative thinking. And one of the things these professional societies tend to do is publish clinical practice guidelines. So it's like the roadmap for treating various diseases. And I know at ACR and and in many other clinical professional societies, patients have actually gotten involved in helping revise those clinical practice guidelines. Mm -hmm. So, and you can imagine this, right? So let's say there's a drug that is always the first drug. Like this is the drug we always start with. But what if that drug has awful side effects and patients don't want to take it? That might be really good (laughs) insight to have when you're making the clinical practice guidelines. And so patients are now lending their voices either individually or as part of a patient advocacy organization Those types of organizations also play a big role in continuing medical education. Patients have a role to play as medical educators. That's a little bit harder. I'll be very honest to sort of plug yourself into, but it doesn't mean you can't. Mm -hmm. And so one great way to get involved just in your local community is to become part of your local hospital's PFAC, Patient and Family Advisory Council. And maybe you can suggest you know, we should have a grand rounds, which is the big, you know, kind of over lunchtime, all the clinicians come in and hear a lecture. And maybe that's a story from five people who have lived with rheumatoid arthritis or one of the other inflammatory arthropathies. And they talk about 
what's the best care you've ever gotten and what made it good? Or what's the worst care you've ever gotten and what made it bad? <laughs> that type of insight for practicing clinicians is, is wonderful. And as I mentioned, the very first thing I did before we even called all this stuff patient engagement was actually teaching medical students. So we were embedded in the medical school where I was in Kansas City, and we trained first, second, and third year medical students with our own bodies so that they could see joint inflammation, feel warmth, understand loss of range of motion, and then understand function. You know, I would always ask, so what kind of things do you think I can't do because my wrists don't bend? And they'd get a couple, you know, like, oh, well, you probably can't play golf (laughs) or, you know, something that was a little more and I don't want to say frivolous. I know a lot of people love their golf, but I would bring it home with like, well, yeah, right. But what about brushing my teeth or going to the bathroom to be candid? I mean, it was really eye-opening for them. Right. So think about what you could bring to the table with your lived experience. And I, again, I would start with your local PFAC, but be on the lookout. I think patients involved in medical education is going to keep growing. And so just keep your eyes open because there's probably opportunities around you. You just haven't tapped into them yet. I think that that's just a great point, Suze. We have on our list the hospitals, local clinics, your government. Government's getting involved, different governments around the world and listening to what's important to patients because that drives how they're going to regulate policy. It's really a matter of we'll give you some information, right? And that we hope to be able to do that. But you mentioned something about getting on mail lists, and I think that's really key. Find the websites, e-newsletters, mail lists. They will keep you abreast on what's happening, and you can find out how to get involved those ways as well. Yeah, 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 that's right. One of the big aggregators, and it's an international aggregator through the Patient-Focused Medicines Development, PFMD, group. They have something called Synapse. And it is literally a repository, not only of resources, but of people, of people who are experienced in patient engagement, of different projects that are happening. They publish best practice guidelines and different tips and pointers. Highly recommend checking that out. And yeah, just keep yourself informed because if if we haven't done a good job already selling it. I, I promise you <laughs> there are so there are more ways to get involved than you can even imagine. I so and I think just, we've we've yeah. covered every I think so. every bullet we <laughs> wanted to and and I, I just can't express enough. If you're shy or you think, oh I just I can't do this, there are ways that people can get involved and it, there's an array. So if you're not sitting in front of a panel, it can be as simple as is writing down or submitting comments. So start to think about it. If you do want to impact change, your voice matters so much. And, you know, that's really why we're here and why we're telling you this, because we know how much it impacts change. I think that's that's the key. Well, Suze, thank you for for doing this. (laughs) I, I couldn't think of a better person to cover this conversation with me, especially because you literally were one of the first people that I met on this journey. So it's just kind of neat to go back. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of AI Arthritis Voices 360. Make sure that you check us out on the web at aiarthritis.org backslash podcast. That's where this episode will live. And you can click on the link on that homepage. 
We'll have our own special webpage just for this conversation as we do with all of the podcast episodes. There you will find the list that we're going to start. You'll also find a link where you can click on it and submit your comments, your stories, your suggestions, and your questions on this topic. I'd also like to mention that IFAA has a site called AIarthritisvoices.org, and we are now recruiting for people living with these diseases to join. It is where our mission happens, all the work we do behind the scenes, which is completely centered around engaging with patients to impact education, advocacy, or policy and research. And on that site, we have what we call engagement partners. Those engagement partners are people that we at our nonprofit work with on different projects and we collaborate with. Maybe we sit on coalitions, but they have opportunities to utilize voices as well. And we will have them listed with their opportunities. So you can even connect on that site (laughs) to opportunities. So it's all about opportunity and having your voice everywhere. That's the bottom line. Exactly. It's awesome. So thank you again, Suze, and thank you all for tuning in. Until next time, thank you so much for joining the table and pulling up a seat. Have a great rest of the day and week and know that we're all here advocating for you. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Join us again on Wednesday for our special breakout episode, where we bring your comments, questions, and ideas to the table. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events. 